Again, Malachi 2, verses 1 through 9, give ear to the reading of God's holy word. It says, And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, uh, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was found in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of the priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and I will make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning and help me to preach it faithfully. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word, even as we looked at it in the psalm. And we ask this morning once again that you work in us by your Holy Spirit. Uh, give me grace to preach your word faithfully and clearly. And we pray that you might work in us by your spirit and give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear great things from your word. That we might be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving ourselves. Give us grace to understand and take to heart and apply what we hear this morning from your holy word. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, uh, if you were here last Sunday, you might be saying to yourself, didn't we already do this passage? We seem to be preaching the same passage over again. That's not a typo. It's not an accident. I forget lots of things, but I didn't forget that. Um, but uh, we looked at this passage, the same verses, 1 through 9, last uh, Lord's Day, and we saw there that the Lord, through Malachi, had a warning for his priests. He had a rebuke of the priests who served in the temple in Malachi's day, that recently rebuilt temple after the Babylonian captivity and we saw then that the priests and you can see it in chapter 1 as well if you read that on your own uh, the priests had been unfaithful in carrying out their ministry in the temple not only in the way that they allowed uh, sacrifices that were defiled to be offered there on the altar but also in failing to teach the people the word of God you know I think I know for myself I won't speak for all of you but when I think of my Old Testament and I think of the priesthood, and not without reason, the first thing I think about basically is the, the offerings, the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices that were done in the Old Testament. Uh, but here in this text, we, we learn very explicitly that you could say their main job, like you know, we often talk about the three offices of Christ, the prophet, priest, and king, and how those, those offices find their basis in the Old Testament. And we, we kind of generalize, maybe overgeneralize what those offices do what their functions are. And so we say that Christ as our priest, and if you read the Shorter Catechism, you'll see this kind of thing, as our great high priest, he offered up himself as a spotless lamb to, to, to pay for our sins. He intercedes for us before the Father at all times. So the priest, that we always say the, re, the priest represented 
and or represents in Christ's case, his people before God. The prophet, we say, conversely, but not unrelated to that, represents God to the people. And so the prophet is the mouthpiece of God. He speaks forth God's word to his people. Uh, the Puritans, uh, William Perkins and others, they actually likened preaching in our day to prophesying, not telling the future, but, but proclaiming God's word. That's the essence of what prophecy is. It isn't always telling the future. It isn't really mostly telling the future. It's speaking God's word to God's people. But here we see in Malachi, especially here in our text, that there's a little bit of overlap, that the priests weren't just to be up there doing things. They were to be teaching the people God's word. The sacrifices weren't unimportant, right? But they were to teach the people God's word and God's ways. And these, these priests had failed, as many do in our day in the pastorate, failed to teach God's word to his people faithfully. And so the Lord, what he does in the text we looked at again last week in verses 5 through 7, he reminds them of Levi. He says, here's what you're not doing. Remember Levi. He served me faithfully, I'm paraphrasing. And here's what Levi's ministry was like. And he sums up the ministry of the priests in verses 5 through 7. And in verse 7 in particular, he says it's a matter of guarding, says the lips of a priest, should guard or preserve knowledge. Look at verse 7 again. We're going to focus most of our time on verse 7 this morning. He says, for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge or preserve knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. Why? For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. That's his job. That's, in a lot of ways, the job of a pastor or minister today, a messenger of the Lord, not giving, as a pastor, I'm not supposed to give you my opinion. I'm supposed to give you what the word says and, you know, the old courtroom language, you know, the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. That's supposed to be... What, the, what preaching of the word is it shouldn't be mixed with my own anything, neither should anybody else's preaching be mixed in that way. And so I think in a lot of ways, verse 7 is the key verse in our passage. And so I thought it would be good for us to, to not quite rush through it so fast, but to spend one more Sunday today, uh, Lord willing, drawing out some more of the implications of that verse for our lives. And we saw last Sunday, as we, if you were here, that we focused most of our attention on the responsibility uh, of the ministers of the gospel at the implications of this text for us, for people like myself, Rob, and others uh, who ought to teach God's word. We, we, are, we are called to teach God's word, to walk with God, and so teach not only by word but by example. That's the hard part in some ways. Uh, and also verse 6 says that, that Levi, and, and so should a pastor today or an elder today, turned many from iniquity. The result of his studying and teaching, preserving knowledge, the, the, the result of his walking with God in uprightness and peace, uh, the, the end result of that and the goal of that in some ways is to turn many from iniquity. It's an evangelistic aspect to the ministry, isn't it? And so what I'd like to, us to look at this morning uh, in this same passage, and especially in verse 7, has to do with what it has to teach us not, not just about the way ministers are to do their, their jobs according to God's word, but what does this passage have to teach each of us about what every believer in Jesus Christ, how we all of us ought to view the ministry of their pastors and elders and the word of God and the ministry of it in church. And so really what verse 7 I'd like to look at today is, is to find out what does this passage have to say about you in relation to the ministry of the word. 
I'd like that to be what you think about as we go through this text again this morning. What does verse 7 in particular, but the whole passage, have to tell you? We're sort of reverse engineering the passage. Not only what is the pastor to do, what are you to do as a believer in relation to the ministry of the word? Now, we're certainly told in verse 7 that the priest, that's the Old Testament, and the pastor in the New, or the elder in the New, is to guard or preserve knowledge. But that same verse also has instructions, I think, for the people, doesn't it? What does it say there at the end? People should, should seek instruction from his mouth. That's the other side of the coin. Uh, it's almost the same side of the coin in some ways of the priest's lips preserving knowledge. If he's preserving knowledge, they should be able to do what? Seek knowledge, uh, seek instruction from his mouth. That should be the goal of listening to the preaching and teaching of the word on the Lord's Day. This has a lot to tell us, I think, about how we are to approach the preaching and teaching of God's word in the church. What should you be doing as a believer when you sit under the preaching and teaching of the word of God every Lord's Day from week to week? And as you sit and listen and attend upon the preaching of the word, what do you look for in the preaching that goes on in the church from one Sunday to the next? Are you looking for the right things in the preaching of the word? That is a, a key thing to do as you sit here from week to week listening to the preaching and teaching of God's word. And so the first thing I'd like us to look at this morning uh, briefly is in that regard is we need to make sure that we are seeking the right things in the preaching of the word of God. Because many don't. Many, many, we're not talking about people that sit at home, that don't go, or that give no mind to the preaching. Those who are listening to the preaching from week to week, in and out, Sunday to one Sunday to the next, um, some do not seek the right things from the preaching of the Word of God. You know, it's, it's easy to assume that if we are coming to church on a, on a regular basis, you know, uh, and especially if we're attending, quote-unquote, the right kind of church, then everything's fine, right? Because what do we do? We have this tendency, all of us do, we compare ourselves, right? We say, well, I'm coming to church. So-and-so is not coming to church at all. They're, they're practically a heathen, you know. Or I go to the right church. So-and-so goes to, well, we won't say the names, you know, but, but you know, they, they don't believe the Bible, all these things. And those things aren't, aren't bad. Uh, to, to notice those things, they're not wrong as far as it goes, but it's not, it's not really good enough. It's, it's all too easy to assume that if we are regularly attending worship and even listening to the sermon, that all is well. That's really not, really not the case at all, is it? You can, you can listen to sermons every week and have no benefit from it. And not just because the sermon is bad, right, at times. In, a, in our text, in, in Malachi 2, the assumption is that the people, they weren't staying home. They were coming to church, so to speak. They were coming to the temple. They were offering sacrifices. They were listening to the instruction of the priests. But they weren't being taught the law of God faithfully. And the results, if you think about them thoroughly, the results were catastrophic. They weren't, it was, this was no minor thing. This brought great harm uh, to the people of God in Israel in their day. As we're going to see as we go through the rest of the book, and maybe this afternoon, if you have time after lunch or something, it's a very short book, four chapters, and chapter four is very brief. You can read Malachi in one sitting multiple times without getting tired. You'll notice most of the things he brings up in the rest of this letter, in the rest of this book, have to do with the moral failings of the people of God. He starts with the priests, 
But he doesn't stop there. He goes to the people as well. And God was not pleased. And God sent chastisement for the wickedness of his people, for their unfaithfulness uh, in worship and all kinds of other, other things, even in their marriages. There's a whole section there on, on marriage and marrying uh, unbelievers and things. We'll get to that when we get there. But, and so not everybody who comes to church from one Sunday to the next is seeking after the right things. Again, it's easy to think that we are. Listen to Paul's words in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. Remember, Paul's writing, we just, we just went through 1 Timothy not that long ago. Uh, 2 Timothy, as well as one of the pastoral epistles, it's Paul teaching his young protege or apprentice pastor about, about the ministry. Here's what you should do and why. And he says in, in verses 1 and 2 of 2 Timothy 4, and we'll read that later, he tells Timothy to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season and all that. And here he gives the reason, uh, verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, I don't know, some of you I know are dog people. We have a dog at home, and he likes his ears scratched. Our cats do too. You know, it's like, oh, right there, that's great. You know, that's what he compares that kind of listening to the word. Oh, that feels good. Yeah, you keep saying that. that. That feels good. That doesn't make me feel bad at all. Dogs don't like bad sometimes. They, they like their ears itched. But he's saying people won't endure it. They won't put up with it. With what? Sound teaching. That should shock us to, to see. And this is, in the, I mean, this is early in the, church, the church's history. The Apostle Paul. Now, he's not writing this as a hypothetical. The Apostle Paul wrote this from experience and from the Holy Spirit teaching him. The time is coming. Paul saw it coming, and he saw some of the evidence of it already when people will not endure sound teaching. They can't stand it. Uh, he's not talking, Paul is not here talking about people who don't go to church. He's not talking about the heathen. He's not talking just about unbelievers. He's talking about professing Christians. Just imagine the Apostle Paul. We think the Apostle Paul, he's super Christian because he's an apostle, super preacher. And in, many, and, you know, in some regard, you could almost say that he was, uh, but he, he dealt with some of the same rejections and things uh, that anybody else who's ever preached has had to deal with. Uh, there, there are far too many professing believers in churches today that fit Paul's description there in that, that passage. There are professing believers who will not endure sound teaching. They won't stand for it, and they certainly aren't seeking after it. And why is that? Because in many ways, the clear teaching of God's word, to use Paul's phrase there, doesn't, quote, suit their passions. It doesn't accommodate their sins. They have itching ears, and so what does he say? He doesn't say they won't stand sound teaching, so they'll just leave and never go anywhere. No, exactly the opposite. They want all the appearance of godliness, right? He says they, quote, accumulate for themselves teachers. They don't, they don't avoid teaching. They heap it up. They accumulate for themselves teachers who will do what? Who will accommodate their sins and suit their own passions. In other words, you could say they're looking for someone who will leave them do what they, whatever they want to do. That's really what people want. They just want to be left alone. 
you know, when I first came up here, uh, I think it was Pastor Kevin who helped uh, with our uh, our service a couple weeks ago. When we were particularized. Uh, he was talking about what he had read about Ramona. Uh, and he, I think it was him that told me that the, the phrase was uh, leave us alone. Like it was that was kind of the the, the uh, yeah, the, the way this town was thought of in some ways that people move here to be kind of left alone. And I, I think that's sort of true in some regard. Uh, not not in every 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 sense, but that's the way people approach preaching. They just want to be left alone. They just want you to you know preach and don't meddle. You know, don't say anything that might kind of uh, get too close to, to home or anything like that. Well, such people will not long endure in a church where the word of God is preached and faithfully taught. Uh, they are much like I was thinking about it this week. Uh, it's a lot like the people of Israel during the wilderness wanderings. Remember the forty years they spent wandering in the wilderness before they got to go in the promised land and that generation didn't get to enter in. Remember how God fed the people for 40 years miraculously in the wilderness in the desert? The manna. Remember manna means what is it? So when the kids ever say, well, what is manna? Well, you know, we don't know. It's miraculous bread from heaven. Uh, and the name of it is a hint that they didn't know what it was, right? But it was miraculous. For 40 years, Exodus 16.35 says, God fed the people miraculously with bread from heaven. There was no earthly explanation for how that showed up and when it showed up and when it didn't show up. Remember, if they gathered more than one day's worth on a different day, it would rot just like that. You know, if, and, if they, you know, and when they gathered on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much. God permitted that, and they had some for the Sabbath. But if they tried to go out on the Sabbath, bad things happened. They were not to go get you know, God was teaching them. It was a teachable moment. Uh, but he fed them for 40 years. And Exodus 16.31 says, The taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Now, I, I know that if you eat one thing for 40 years, uh, you know, it, it doesn't... Even if it tastes like honey, you're probably going to be a little bit grumpy, you know, I guess. But, you know, but it didn't taste bad. It's not like it was tofu from heaven. You know, this bland, yucky, you know... It wasn't hummus. Hummus from heaven. It was honey, you know... If I, if I have to eat one thing for 40 years, at least to make it taste good. You know, it's like Snickers bars or something from honey. You know, it tasted like honey. It didn't taste bad, but they grew tired of it and they grumbled. Imagine, you know, I always think of the gospel in this sense. You know, some people, they don't, they don't want the gospel. They want to get saved some other way. I think of it as somebody, you know, they're on a ship at sea. The ship capsizes. The Coast Guard rescue swimmers come and they have a yellow, an orange and white life you know, preserver, they throw it in the water and the person in the water is like, I hate orange. I hate orange. I'm sorry. Sorry. Can you go back, go back to your base and or go back to your ship and get another? I like blue. You know, they drowned and uh, nobody would do that. But they were like, you know, I know we're in the middle of a desert, but really, you know, the same stuff forever. Can't we mix it up a little bit? Um, I played this morning on the way to church an old song by Keith Green, if you know who that was. And I won't sing it, but it's so you want to go back to Egypt and he was going off on all the different uh, stuff you can make with manna. Manna pancakes, manna, manna bread, and all this stuff, kind of making fun of it. Well, this is what uh, the people did. They grumbled. Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 6, it says, Now the rabble, the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again. They had a habit of complaining to God and to Moses. They wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. <laughs> you were slaves, right? It cost nothing 
the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now, now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Like, it's, it's, it sounds kind of contemptuous, doesn't it? This manna. Like, they're, they're longing for slavery. They're saying, oh, if we just could go back to the good old days of slavery in Egypt. They act like they had a buffet. Like it was the all-you-can-eat Disney cruise or something. You know, they're, oh, we had cucumbers and melons and meat. Like, they cried. Remember why God saved them? They cried out to God in their misery and slavery. And God had mercy upon them, heard their cries. They craved, here's the point, they craved something other than what God was providing to sustain them. Can we have something else? We mix up the menu. And so the anger of God burned against them. And remember what he did. You know, uh, and God is, I'm not going to say God is sarcastic, but my voice will make it sound sarcastic. It's as if he was saying, oh, you want meat? Oh, we'll give you meat. And he caused a wind to blow a whole bunch of quail into the camp. Quail that was like, I think it says two feet high on the ground, like, you want, you want meat? You're not going to be able to walk. There's going to be so much meat. And they didn't go. They were like, yay, God answered our prayers. And they started eating quail. And what happened? They got sick and a bunch of them died. God sent a plague among the people. And a whole bunch of them died. They, they weren't supposed to say, yay, quail. They should have said, okay, got it. You know, um, you know it's, that's not that much unlike those who won't endure the sound teaching of God's word. You know, Psalm 19.10 says, the word of God, much like the manna, is sweeter also than honey in the drippings of the honeycomb. Honey tastes good, right? Everybody, everybody, I think, pretty much likes honey. Deuteronomy 8.3 tells us that there was a lesson to learn for us from that manna. That story is not just in the Bible to tell us what happened, although it is. It's to teach us a lesson from it as well. Deuteronomy 8.3, and remember Jesus quotes this, it says, And he humbled you, God did, and let you hunger. Their tummies weren't full, right? Let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. They'd never even heard of it before. Why? Here it is. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by what? Every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That was the teachable moment of 40 years of manna. And the children after that generation were to take that same lesson and go, yeah, don't grumble against God. Take what he gives you. He knows what you need. He sustained them for 40 years on this food. And what is that food supposed to t- teach you about? The word of God. The word of God. And so the believer today lives by bread from heaven, which is the word of God. It's our spiritual food that we cannot live without. And so I'll ask you this morning when you come to church, are you seeking bread from heaven when you come to worship on the Lord's day? Is the word of God something that you can't live without? Is the word of God the preaching and teaching of it? It's not the only thing in worship, in the service. But is that what you look forward to? Not because of who's, who's doing the preaching and teaching, but because of what it is. That is the, it's, the, it's what you feed on to survive on your pilgrimage to heaven. Because we are in the same, because they, they weren't in a boat, but we're in the same boat in some ways spiritually that they are. We aren't home yet. We just talked about one of our own going home this past weekend. She's home. We're not. Right? We have to live on the word of God while we're in this life, in this pilgrimage. And so uh, don't be like the Israelites in grumbling about God's provision. Can we have something else? We need something more. No, we need the word of God. 
and all, all evidence. So verse 7, it tells us that, uh, that we are to seek true instruction from the word. It says, people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So that is what you should be seeking when you come to church, and that is true instruction from the word of God. And so I'll ask us, is that what you come for every Sunday? Is that what you expect? I hope it is. Uh, every Sunday, whether it's here or somewhere else, if you're traveling or whatnot, what do you look for in a church? What do you look for in the ministry of the word when you go to a church? I hope that's what you look for is to seek true instruction from the word, regardless of who is doing the teaching and the preaching. Um, it's instructive also that in our text, uh, not, not to give you Hebrew lessons, but I'm sure most of you have heard this word before, if you know any Hebrew at all. The Hebrew text of this verse uses the word Torah. Not like, you know, Torah, 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 but Torah, the, the word for law. You know, the ESV translates it as, as instruction, um, but it really mostly is translated as law. The King James Version reflects this well in its translation. This is the King James Version of this. It says, the, for the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they, the people, they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. They, it's literally saying they should seek his law. Now, the word law means more than commandments, right? Uh, when, when it says in the Psalm, uh, Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, revi reviving the soul, it doesn't just mean commandments, but it does imply that. It does include that. And that might be the main aspect of it that you think of when you hear the word law in regard to the Old Testament. Um, so I think you know it implies instruction, but I think we would be remiss uh, if we fail to include the idea of law as commandment here. And why do I say that? Again, if you read, I'll invite you to read the rest of it on your own this afternoon, and we'll get to it when we get to it in the preaching. But when you read the next two chapters, or the rest of chapter two, frankly, in the book of Malachi, what do you see the, God saying through his prophet? He brings up things they were doing wrong in their daily lives. Sins and iniquity they were, they were committing that were contrary to God's law. Saying they should be seeking out what they should do, how they should live from the mouth of the priest. And then in the rest of the book, he's like, look what they're doing. Look what you are allowing them to do by not teaching them God's word faithfully. Much of the rest of the, the book of Malachi has to do with the moral failings and sins of the people. And so when you, when you are seeking instruction in the ministry of the word, one of the things, not the only thing, but one of the things you should be seeking after is, instru is instruction in how God would have you to live in such a way that's pleasing in his sight. Is, is that what you look for in, and are seeking from the word of God? Are you seeking to know how God would have you to live? And that, that includes repenting from sin as much as it does serving him and doing good works out of gratitude for God's salvation of you in, in Christ. Remember that passage I read a little earlier in 2 Timothy chapter 4? Let's look at the first two verses of that, of that passage. Uh, 2 Timothy 4 verses 1 to 2. Remember he's talking about itching ears right after that? Here's what he tells Timothy to do right before that. He tells Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Now I think that means not just Timothy, but his hearers. He's like, remember what's coming. There's a judgment coming, and so you, are you have to be faithful in the teaching and preaching of God's word. And he says, by the, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. 
What does he say? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. And then he adds kind of the how-to or what it should look like. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Reprove or, or correct, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And so he tells him, he charges him before God. It's like God is our witness. Here's what I'm telling you to do. Preach the word. And if you understand the, the connection in verse 3 that we just read a little while back, uh, part of the reason he was to preach the word is precisely because there was a time coming when people would refuse to endure it. Imagine that being the charge to a pastor on his ordination. That's, that would be a proper one. Preach the word for a time is coming when they won't endure it. You know, do, do your work while the sun's shining kind of thing. Do it while you still can. But what was his preaching in hours supposed to look like? What characterizes, according to Paul in the scripture here, the preaching of the word? Uh, he says that faithful preaching of the word of God involves reproving, rebuking, exhorting with complete patience and teaching. Now think about that. There are times, and every Sunday is different, and frankly I will say this, I, I, I will give you my word, I don't aim sermons. You know, When I meet with somebody, if I counsel them or I talk to them or they come tell me about their problems or their struggles with sin, I don't, when I'm writing my sermon during the week and working on my studies, and I hope no other pastors do this either, I don't go, oh, so-and-so told me this, I'm going to you know, aim, aim this part of the sermon. Some of you maybe have felt like I have. I never have done that, and I won't do that. Uh, but here's the funny thing. The Holy Spirit takes the word and applies it to everybody as he sees fit. And so the same passage, the same verse, the same part of a verse, the same part of a sermon is going to, not because I have any ability, because I don't, or no pastor does, is going to comfort one and convict another. And both alike might be saying to themselves, how did he know that? He didn't know that, but God did. That's kind of how it works. And when there are sins in the community or in the church community that are known, those things have to be dealt with publicly like that as well. And so that means at times during the preaching of the word, hopefully this is the case, at times you will be exhorted and taught. I hope that's most Sundays. It also means at the same time, at some times, you will also be reproved or corrected or even rebuked if the word of God is being faithfully preached. Have you ever sat under the preaching of the word of God and been convicted of a particular sin or shortcoming that you need to repent of? I hope you have. Not because of anything I've said, just because of the scripture. That should not be a rare thing for us to, to experience. Have you ever felt the conviction of correction or maybe your view on a particular thing? You thought one way and then you see the word of God being explained. You think, oh, I had that wrong. My view of God was wrong. My view of the gospel God forbid, was wrong. My view of the way I'm supposed to live was wrong. Well, something like that. My view of death, whatever the case may be, uh, that, that sometimes is going to happen. You know, I, I've often said, you know, if you go to church for any length of time, you know, for years on end, and have never once felt convicted or corrected, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with either what I'm doing or what you're doing or both, right? You know, if you've never... Uh, if you've never somehow felt any of those things at the preaching and teaching of God's word, you have either somehow miraculously arrived at the state of resurrection glory ahead of the rest of us, or, or possibly and more likely, I think, 
There is a deficiency in the preaching or in the listening, or perhaps, again, some measure of both. None of us have, have uh, you know, Paul says pressing forward to, to achieve or attain the resurrection of the dead. But Paul didn't say he did. He didn't say he attained that. He said he was, that was his goal. But no, none of us get that in this life. We don't preach perfectionism, uh, and neither should we. The Bible doesn't teach it. Uh, remember also James 1.22 says we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So we should, be, we should be looking for application. We should be looking for direction as to how we should live in order to show our gratitude uh, and love for God, for his salvation from our sin by his grace. I'm sure that you know that there is uh, uh, at least a little bit of work involved in preparing and preaching sermons uh, from week to week. But uh, did you know that there is work for you, the listener, to do before, during, and after the sermon? Uh-oh. You didn't, nobody told you that, right? There, there is. Our larger catechism says, uh, has a, a rather long question, so to speak, on that exact topic. The question before it is, how is it to be preached? How is the word of God to be preached? And it gives a long list of things that I'm supposed to do, and hopefully I'm doing those things most of the time. But question 160 of the larger catechism says this. What is required of those that hear the word preached? Here it is. Answer. It is required or necessary of those that hear the word preached that they should attend upon it with, with diligence. In other words, show up and actually pay attention. Preparation. That's before you show up. And prayer. Examine what they hear by the scriptures. Receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind. As the word of God. So make sure that what's being said is true to the word of God. And then receive it in faith as the word of God. You know, the Belgian confession, no, it's the Helvetic confession says the preaching of the word is the word. It's God speaking if it's being faithful to the text. And then it says, uh, meditate and confer. That means talk about. Meditate and confer of it. Hide it in their hearts and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. That's a lot of work. But that's, that's what it takes to benefit from a sermon properly. It's not like taking a, a supplement, you know, and you, you take your, your vitamin and you forget about it. You, you have to pay attention, listen to it, pr- you know, prepare beforehand, pray about it beforehand, pray for me as I prepare, pray for you as you get ready to listen, uh, receive it with faith, love, and meekness as the word of God, and then meditate, think about it. Think about what you're hearing from the word. Don't let it just go in one ear and out the other after lunch. Think about it. Uh, confer or converse about it. That means really probably talking about it with other people. Maybe other people from church. Maybe in your own home, in your own family. Hide it in their hearts. So you know, try to remember it. Try to find a way to memorize a verse from the text or something. Uh, and then bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. That's a lot to do. So prepare to listen to the word. Test everything you hear from this pulpit by the scriptures. Take nothing. Uh, don't, don't take my word for anything. Don't take anyone's word that stands in this pulpit ever. Don't take their word for anything. doesn't mean you don't trust me or trust them. I hope you do. But take my word for nothing. Do what the Bereans did and, and check it by the scriptures. Receive it if it is clear with the scripture. Receive it with faith, love, and meekness as the very word of God. Meditate on it. Talk about it, remember it, and bring forth the fruit of it in your life. You know, no wonder some people won't endure sound teaching. It's hard work. Nobody wants to have to do that on their own. And, but if you're a believer in Christ, that should be the delight of your heart. 
even if it's work, even if it's a little bit harder. Why? It's the sweetest honey to the believer's ear and heart to hear the whole counsel of God being faithfully and clearly taught and preached from week to week. You know, I, uh, I, I sometimes, I don't have many good stories, uh, but um, my time in the Navy, I can tell you, um, I won't give you names or numbers, but uh, we had, you know, there, were all, there was always a chaplain at wherever I was stationed, and I can tell you my first ship, the Constellation, our chaplain on that ship, chaplains, plural, on that ship, were not Bible-believing men, and it was discouraging. And you're out at sea, there's, no, there's not a church down the street. You go to chapel or you don't go. And so you'd go, you'd sing the hymns, and then me and my friend would be, oh, here we go again. You know, they'd read the Bible and then off to the side, you know. And we'd, you know, we'd go, we'd pray, and we'd do our best. Um, I can remember, um, like it was, you know, last week, going on the Kitty Hawk, and I'm going to go to chapel, and here we go again. It's going to be, you know, pulling teeth time. Uh, and Chaplain Scott and Chaplain Lawson, uh, God bless them. First time I heard Chaplain Scott preach, I was looking around the room and like, he's preaching the word. He's teaching the word of God. I couldn't wait to get to chapel after that. We're at sea. I was like, hey, I'm good. We've got a chaplain that's preaching us the word of God. It was the best. Uh, that, that, that made my six-month Westpac cruise livable. And I, I, I hope I express my gratitude to both of them for that because it was a rare thing. And by God's grace, we had good chaplains on that, on that ship. But uh, it should be sweet as honey to the believer's ear to hear the Bible being, being taught. And so um, I'll ask, you know, we just sang this. I didn't think of that when I was picking the hymns on us. But um, day of all the week, the best emblem of eternal rest, safely through another week we just sang. Is Sunday the best day of the week to you? It might be a long day, but is it the best day of the week to you? Do you, do you delight to hear God's word and to think about it? Uh, as it's preached in the public worship of God's church. I hope, I hope that you do. I assume that you do. Um, and again, not because of the person in the pulpit. I hope that's never your regard for that, regardless of who it is. Uh, even, even Paul himself, you know, it's hard for us to imagine this, but Paul told the Corinthians this. In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 2, he said, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul is saying uh, he made no claim to be some great speaker. Now, people weren't going to print flyers and post them all over town. The Apostle Paul's coming. It's going to be awesome. You know, he, didn't, he didn't claim to be a great speaker, a great orator. He, he may or may not have been an engaging speaker. I'm guessing he was better than he tries to let on here uh, by God's grace. But one thing he did, and that was preach Christ crucified. And preached it simply. He wasn't out to impress anybody with himself. He was out to impress them with Christ and him crucified. That's, that's what everyone needs. To hear of Christ and him crucified for us for our salvation. So true instruction in God's word does not teach salvation by works. Uh, the word of God is not a pride affirming thing. It shows us our sins and iniquities. It shows us frankly our need for the only Savior of sinners. Even the law does that. What does Paul say in Romans? By the law comes the knowledge of sin. It's not the only thing the law does, but it shows us how far we've fallen short. So we, our first instinct shouldn't be, all this I've kept from my youth like the rich young ruler did. It shows us our need first and foremost for Christ 
the Lord Jesus Christ who laid down his life on the cross for our sins that we might be reconciled to God by faith in him. Paul tells us again in 2 Timothy 3.15 that it's the scriptures and wrote the scriptures alone. He says, quote, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's the main and most important priority or focus and message of the Bible if you've not come to Christ by faith is that the Bible is able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So I'll ask, because we never should assume, have you come to Christ for salvation by faith? Are are you saved? Do you know the Lord? Is that why you come to church and hear his word to begin with? And if you are already a believer in Christ, as I'm sure most of you, if not all, are, uh, is it, it's the truth of the word of God that not only will save you by faith in Christ, it's God's truth that will sanctify you and change your life. If you want your life to change, there's no easy three-step whatever. It's the word of God and the Holy Spirit working through the, the word of God. John 17, 17 is part of Jesus' great high priestly prayer. But in there he says and prays for us as he says it. He prays to his father. He says, sanctify them in the truth or by, by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them by, your, by the truth. Your word is truth. So the, how does your life changing work? How does God change your life? He does it through the truth of the word of God and the spirit of God working through it to transform your life. That's why in Romans 12, Paul talks, Paul talks about don't be conformed to this world, but, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he doesn't spell it out after that, but how do you get your mind renewed? According to God's word. If you want your life to change, spend time in God's word. What a blessing God's word is, even the preaching and teaching of it on the Lord's day. May we all be, according to our text, seeking instruction from the word of God in the preaching and teaching on the Lord's day, every Lord's day. May we learn to see it. I hope we'll all learn more and more to see it as the, the true bread from heaven, as it feeds our faith in Christ throughout our pilgrimage to heaven. And may we never tire of hearing Christ in all the scriptures and hearing the whole counsel of God taught in him until we see him face to face in glory by the grace of God. Amen.